0: So we're going to be reading the entirety of Jonah chapter 3. we got three big points that I want to mention. And again, that we're going to see in this old ancient recollection of a story of Jonah, this man that is mentioned so little in the scriptures altogether, we can learn so much from and we actually share so much in common. So Jonah chapter 3, up to this point, if you were here last week, we have gotten through the great fish. Jonah has been vomited onto the dry land, and then we get into chapter 3, and this is what the Bible reads. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Verse 9 may be one of my favorite verses in this entire book. And the king asks, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So here we are, Jonah has heard the word of the Lord, he gets onto the boat, he's doing everything he can to flee God's presence and he's trying to do everything he can to just distance himself from God and this calling to go and to preach to Nineveh because Nineveh was a city of pagans that were not worthy of hearing the message of the Lord according to Jonah. And we've now looked at how you and I, if we are not careful, we will see some people as as unworthy. And then we will distance ourselves from God's calling. And then now we see Jonah receive the word a second time. And had I been cast over a ship into the sea to drown, rescued by a great fish and vomited onto the land by the Lord, I would go to Nineveh too. So the word comes a second time. And what does Jonah do? Yeah, whatever you say, God, I'm there. And sometimes we might need wake up calls like that, too. Maybe there is times where you and I will be praying and praying and praying and we'll be trying to do this or we're trying to do that. And then finally, God really opens our eyes or he sends us through a season of life or he tests us in ways that after this season or after this test, we have no other direction but to obey the Lord and to follow him. So here we are. We see Jonah get the word the second time. And what you see is a very big parallel comparison between Jonah and Peter. So if you remember the story of Peter, maybe you do. Anybody remember the story of Peter? Some of us are like Peter at times, right? We stick our foot in our mouth as fast as possible. We, we do things a little obnoxiously or maybe we are, maybe we respond emotionally at times. You know, Peter's the guy that's chopping off the dude's ear in the garden and he's also the guy that is saying that I will die with you. But you see a big parallel, and this brings me to my first point, that God's mercy is greater than my mistakes. God's mercy is greater than my mistakes. So if you remember the story of Peter, this is the same Peter that Jesus turned and he said, upon this rock, upon you Peter, I'm going to what? Build my church. This is the same man, Peter, who told Jesus whenever he was warning them over and over that I have to die, and it is actually for your good, and I will be rested, I will be crucified, but on the third day I will, whether he say rise or build the temple again, but he was warning them, and if you remember the account of Peter, Peter told him, hey, I will go and I will die with you. Like, I will lay down my life with you, Jesus, for you. You're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be left alone. Because Peter was warned, as the other disciples were, that they would all flee and they would all abandon Jesus once this moment came for him to be arrested, crucified, and hung on a cross. So Peter says, no, 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 I will go and I will die with you. I will fight with you. And Jesus looks at Peter right before he's arrested and tells him, everybody remembers the story, before a rooster crows, you will deny me how many times? Three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So what does Peter do? He's offered three chances to admit that he was one of Jesus' followers. He has three different interactions with three different people after Jesus is arrested and each time you can read in the scriptures that Peter is getting more and more defensive, frustrated, and angered because he realizes what he's doing but it's like one of those times where he can't help but to make these mistakes. And it was also because Jesus had promised it would happen, therefore it would. So Peter is given three different chances and he interacts with three different people to confess that he knows this man named Jesus well what does he do each time he says no I, I don't know him I don't know him you have me mistaken after the third time we read that Peter goes out and he weeps greatly just like many of us may There are times that you and I make mistakes that we know we shouldn't have done, that we always said to ourselves, if I ever come into this point in time, if I ever come across this temptation, if I ever come across this person, there is no way I'm going to do it. Well, if we're not careful, you and I will find ourselves doing the very same thing that we always told ourselves that we would never do. Therefore, making mistakes over and over and over. Well, the beauty is that's not the end of Peter's story. Whenever you read John chapter twenty-one, you read a story of Jesus making breakfast on the ocean, or not on the ocean, on the seashore, and he's making it on the beach. And he's got his disciples out fishing all night, and he asks them for a moment of time to have breakfast with them. And he asks Peter three times. This is post-resurrection. Jesus is making breakfast for his disciples, and he asks Peter three separate times, "Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?" Peter says, "Of course, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you." So jesus tells him to go and to feed his sheep So we see in peter's story That god's mercy is greater than his mistakes It's quiet in here today I think we might turn the air on Can somebody turn the air on back there? These people are sleeping I'm gonna turn this on full blast up here. Tanya's gonna be running around here in a minute I feel like sometimes whenever I'm reading to my girls on the on the couch and I'm reading about Second Kings or you know Chronicles and they're just staring at me like, can we go to bed yet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of what I felt just now. But I, I have to tell you, the beauty of our God is that His mercy is greater than your mistake, and all of them, every single one even the mistakes that you don't want to admit to people, even the mistakes that you try to hide in secret, even the mistakes that you would be completely embarrassed to reveal to anyone else, God's mercy is greater than that too. God's mercy is greater than everything that you and I can do. That's why when John writes... First John, he says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of it and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Because if we were to be honest, you and I could probably, we could probably fill this notebook of mine with mistake after mistake after mistake and season after season after season where we lived in rebellion and moment after moment after moment that when we left that particular moment, when we left that particular event, when we left that particular person, we were completely embarrassed and felt so shameful that we never believed in and of ourselves that God could ever love us again. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but there's been moments in my life where I have to look up and plead with the Lord forgive me because I feel the weight of my sin and my mistakes. Therefore, I, I almost write myself off. But here's what I want to tell you. Regardless of where you are, regardless of what you have done, if you call upon the name of the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive you. And His mercy, what you will find, is so much greater than your mistake. So this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, because if we were to base our own salvation based off how good we are, none of us would be in here. Now, let's make it a little personal. If you were to get to heaven based off your performance, you would never see the gates. Never. If I were to base my salvation or my ministry success based off how good I am, let me tell you, I would be a complete failure. Because here is the reality. Every single person in this church right now, whether your parents told you you were perfect, they lied. And then they sinned in lying to you. None of us are perfect, not even one. None of us are righteous, not even one. None of us are holy, not even one. This is where the blood of the Lamb comes into our lives. So if you and I are Christians, you and I are followers of Jesus, we are washed in this blood. And it sounds so gruesome, you know, to be saying I am washed in the blood, but the blood of Christ truly covers us. And what we see is the immeasurable riches of God's mercy is then lavished upon us. So something we talked about in Life Group this past week and something I want to bring up. If God is infinite, which he is, and his mercy, love, and grace are immeasurable, here's what we cannot do. We cannot measure in a way and say God loves me this much but he only loves you this much his mercy and grace and his love is infinite and it is immeasurable therefore there is a infinite me- immeasurable love mercy and grace that you and I are recipients of therefore every mistake we have which can be measured because we can measure it in time we can measure it in space we can measure it in numerous ways it is wiped clean so this is what you and I have to understand. Whenever you are a Christian and you're here, you are a walking testimony of God's mercy being greater than all your mistakes. You are a walking testimony of God's faithfulness because what we see on the cross is Jesus humbling himself and enduring the fullness of God's wrath. And what he actually does is he takes upon himself everything that you and I actually are. So what are we? Well, we're good. We're friendly. We're loving. No, no, no. If we were to truly be honest with ourselves, you and I are flawed human beings that are sinful by nature and recipient or deserving recipients of God's eternal punishment. That's who we are at nature. That's who we are. We are truly evil, corrupt people. We are broken people. But upon the cross of Christ, he takes upon himself everything that you and I actually are. And in his immeasurable mercy and grace and love that he gives to us, he endures the fullness of God's wrath. And then he extends to you and I something that we can never deserve, which is what? The fullness of who he is. So we have put upon Christ whenever he hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, which he took upon himself, humbling himself and laying his life down for his people. He takes upon himself everything that you and I are and then extends to you and me everything that he is. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. In whom? In Christ who knew no sin and for our sake became sin. So when Jesus hung on the cross, cross, he is taking upon himself. And what we see in this story is we see Jonah, who makes mistake after mistake after mistake, running from the Lord, doing everything he can to distance himself from the Lord and doing everything he can to just live by his way and by his, his emotions or by his motives. And then he is... He is coming into contact with a great phenomenon on the sea whenever the winds are coming. And then he is thrown over the boat into drown in the sea and a great fish swallows him up. He cries out to the Lord. The Lord gives him the opportunity to be a recipient of this immeasurable mercy. And then he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. He warns Nineveh that they will be destroyed in 40 days unless they repent. So what we see in Jonah, what we see in Peter, and what we see in ourselves is that God's mercy truly is greater than my mistake. Therefore, as Paul writes, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, that you and I have nothing to boast about but in one thing, the cross of Christ. If you were to boast in your intellect, someone is smarter than you. If you were to boast in your finances, unless you're Elon Musk, everyone, somebody is richer than you. If you were to boast in your possession, somebody owns more. If you were to boast in how good you are, how good you look, or how good you appear, someone is more beautiful, someone is more um, vibrant. If you were to boast upon anything in who you are, somebody is bigger or stronger or faster or richer or happier or spends more. Therefore, you and I can actually boast in nothing. Because if I were to boast, I may have more money than some people, very few people. I may have more hair than some people. I may have more possession than some people. I may have more happiness than some people. I may have more intellect than a couple of people on the earth, uh, Jared Knapp being one of them. Um, But if I were to boast in anything that I am, I'm actually boasting in something that can be measured as shortcoming compared to someone else. So if you boast in who you are, let me just warn you that if you were to measure how good or happy or smart or rich you are, it is measurable. It is measurable. Therefore, if you were to boast in who you are or anything about yourself, it can be measured to somebody else and somebody else may be greater, they may be richer, they may be smarter. So if you actually boast in anything, you are setting yourself up for failure. Therefore, you and I should live the rest of our lives as walking testimonies of God's mercy being lavished upon us, boasting in one thing, the cross of Christ. Why? Because the cross of Christ is immeasurable. The riches of his glory, the riches of his mercy and his grace and his love given to us is immeasurable. So if there's one thing I will boast about, like the Apostle Paul says, it will be the cross of Christ. Because it is the only thing in the world that can take dead sinful people and raise them to life. It is the only thing in the world that can take broken, sinful, horrible people that we are and present us as children of the holy, righteous God. Therefore, if you want to boast in anything, boast in the cross. Humble yourself to who you are and boast in the cross of Christ because it is the picture of God's mercy being greater than every mistake you have made. So speaking of mercy, which brings me to my next point, <clears throat> I wanted to title this almost in a Jack Nicholson, uh, is it Nicholson or Nicholas, the famous actor? Nicholson. Nicholson. He was before my time. There was an old movie, uh, some of you may remember, but he says something like, you can't handle the truth um, in that particular movie. I think that was Top Gun or something. A Few Good Men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jared knew that. <laughs> um, but... If we were to be honest, we may not be able to handle the truth. And why do I say that? Because I could talk to you about God's love and about God's mercy and about God's grace forever and ever and ever. But we have to also understand the truth of who God is. See, because if we aren't careful, we will allow society to influence the way that we view God as this ever-loving, happy-go-lucky kind of guy that just loves everybody and accepts everybody for who they are, where they are, and just condones and tolerates everything that they do. But if we were to actually preach the truth, believe the truth, we would believe like the king believed. If you read what the king says in verse 9, he says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his what? Fierce anger. Well, what about this fierce anger? He goes on to say, so that we may not what? perish or die or be completely destroyed. So what we know is that God has the authority and the ability to completely wipe the city of Nineveh out. God has the authority and the ability to wipe every single person on this earth out. He has the ability and the authority, but being rich in mercy, he doesn't. But we have to understand the whole truth. So God is a holy, righteous God. God is full of mercy and grace and love, and he loves the world in this way that he would give himself up for us that he would give his only son and for for us in our place so whenever we understand that we have to also understand that God is a holy and righteous judge and one of these days there are going to be people rightful recipients of his fierce anger So what we see in this story is that Jodah goes and he warns the people to turn to God and that God is going to destroy them if they do not. And what do the people do? The people turn from their wicked ways and they turn from their evil. And the Bible says that the people of Nineveh repented. So this little phrase that I thought about from this particular text was, they repented, God relented. God withdrew his disaster that he was going to send. But here's what we have to understand. If we do not repent... If we just comfortably live in our sin and condone sin as good and just everybody love everybody and never actually address the issue of sin and people never repent of their sin, they are setting themselves up for a great disaster. They are going to find themselves face to face with a great disaster. What is that disaster? It's not so much a city being destroyed, it's much worse. It's actually eternal separation from their Father in heaven. So if we want to preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth, then we have to preach that God is a loving, gracious, merciful God, but who also has a very fierce anger that will be satisfied among people who reject him. But as believers, you and I can take heart and we can have hope that upon the cross of Christ, the fullness of God's wrath was endured so that you and I are not actually held responsible to pay the wages of our sin or to endure the wrath or the fierce anger of the Lord. Because here's what we do know, is that God will judge the world. But we also read in Second Peter, Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, that God desires all to come to what? Repentance. He desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So if you and I are to go and to preach to our family, if you and I are to go to reach the world for Christ, what do we preach? Oh, God loves you. Yeah, it's true. But God will punish you eternally if you do not repent of your sin and turn to him. And what you and I must do is we must follow the example of Jesus. Jesus went on preaching what? To repent. The kingdom is near. So we must do the same if we were to truly express the truth of God's word and his nature We would also remind people that he is a holy righteous judge that will judge the world one day and which brings me to my last point When we see what the king does The king whenever he hears the word he issues a proclamation but before he issues this proclamation, he himself arose from his throne, removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is the king of Nineveh who sat on a throne, who who had robes which were an indication of his authority and his power. And what does he do whenever he is presented the word of God? He humbles himself, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth, which is a very big imagery of mourning and, and, and fasting and mourning and crying out to the Lord. And he and all of the people call out to the Lord exceedingly. And then he issues a proclamation that no one can eat, no one can drink, but they all must call out to God. So when we read this particular part of the story, we are reminded of this beautiful promise that is written about in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, which Paul wrote that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here is the beautiful promise. So so God is a God of second chances. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of of giving you and I chance after chance after chance. So maybe there are people in here who God has given you opportunity after opportunity to minister to these people or to repent of your sin or to turn from your sinfulness. And maybe today is a day that God reveals to you what it is that you need to do, what it is that you need to leave behind, what lifestyles or habits are actually killing you emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and it is an opportunity for you to repent. Maybe today is a chance for you to be reminded, or maybe for the first time, presented the truth of who God truly is. He is a holy, righteous judge, and if you and I do not repent of our sin and turn to Him, then we will be judged rightfully. And we can never go to hell saying, well, I didn't deserve that. There is one place where you and I will get to go where we did not deserve. Every single person that gets to heaven will be able to all share one thing in common. We did not deserve to be here. Everybody that goes to the opposite place in a place we know as hell will be able to share this in common. We definitely deserve to be here. But by God's mercy, he offers to us a chance to repent of our sin. Therefore, he relents from his fierce anger that was satisfied on the cross. Therefore, I'm covered by the blood of Christ and by my faith in him and him alone. Can I actually be put into the righteousness of God? He took upon himself the fullness of who I am to offer to me, to offer to you the fullness of who he is. And lastly, we read that the king bows before the Lord. Which brings me to this. There may be people in here right now that have never truly bowed before the Lord. You've just lived however you've wanted. You've just been desiring life how you picture it, how you imagine, how you want to draw it up. And have never humbled yourself to bow before the Lord. And like the king says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I promise you that if you do not bow before the Lord and humble yourself and follow him and choose him, then you will be a recipient of this fierce anger and you shall perish forever and ever and ever without end. But I do also know that you might know people in your lives that mock you for being a Christian or try to humiliate you because of this faith that you have in this mysterious being in the sky that is is so good but but it allows so much bad to happen and all of the things that they may say. Let me just remind you that there is going to be a time and place in which every knee will bow. There is going to be a time and a place in which every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a time in which every person in earth... In heaven and below earth, it says, should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the reality is that there may be one, there may be two, or there may be five or more in here, or that listen to this online, that have never bowed before him. They have never humbled themselves to call upon his holy name to save them from their evil way and the violence that is in their hands. Because here is the reality. This is what I desire for every single person that comes through these doors. I desire for every single person to come through these doors to be pierced to the heart by the word and the spirit of the Lord. I desire for every single person to come through these doors, not just be pierced to the heart and to believe in Christ truly as the Lord and the Lord draw them to him. I want to see every single person confess their faith in Christ, be baptized in his name, be raised to life and be born again. That's what I want to see. I want to see every single person that walks through these doors be empowered by his spirit and have the seal of his spirit and living within them, empowering them each and every day to become what? Greater reflections of the Lord. That is my that is my hope. That is my dream. I got to sit down this past week with my eight, soon to be nine, and my six, soon to be thirty three year old, and um, we sat down and I was teaching them about salvation and Christ. And we we just sat around the couch and my eight year old and six year old. They love to read. They love to read the Bible, and we like to talk about it. And I was trying to explain to them about the blood of Jesus washing them, and it was really kind of strange i 've never taught youth ministry, and uh, I 'm up here talking about you know kings being beheaded and stuff like that, and, and trying to bring it down to their level. But it was a beautiful opportunity in which I got to sit next to my wife and and Annie Mae does what Annie Mae does, and she 's in the room, or then she 's on top of the fridge, um, and then she 's in the oven. you know she just does Annie Mae things. So she's running around, and, and Michaela's got Avon. Avon's almost asleep. And um, I get to look into my two oldest girls, you know. They're the old ones. They're the smart ones. And I got to tell them something. I said, you know, I said, Daddy hopes you're really successful. <laughs> I mean, if you marry a sugar daddy and I can retire young, that would be great. But, no, I got to tell them, of all the things in the world, of all the things... I could make as much money as possible. I could build the biggest home possible. I could drive the fastest car possible. I said, of all the things to see in this world, there is one thing that your mom and I will go to the grave, hoping for, praying for, and believing that it will be. What is it? What is it? To see you in heaven forever. Forever. To, to one day, I, I don't know how it's gonna look and, and don't take me and quote me from this because this isn't in the Bible, it's just, just me visualizing. I, I wonder if sometimes God will allow us to, to see the people as they come through the pearly gates and P- Peter opened up the gates and, and I told him, I said, if there's anything in this world that I would love to see other than a ten point buck tomorrow morning in front of my stand, broadside, which didn't happen, I said, I want to see you in heaven forever. I I said, we can make money. We can build homes. We can have fun. I want to rejoice with you. I I don't want to just hold you and and change your diapers now and then walk you down the aisle one day and and pay for your bills, you know, and then your ex-bills and and then guide you in life. I said, I I want to just wrap my arms around you forever in heaven. How do we get there? And, And... You know, I'm trying to ask them, how do you get there? Do you know how you get there? I'm teaching to them that you have to confess your sins to the Lord. You have to repent and turn to the Lord. And you have to be baptized in His name and be born again and follow Him. You have to do these things. Therefore, you can't just wander your way into heaven. You must do these things. Therefore, if you are here today and you have never bowed before Him, here's what I want to see with you and your family. I want you all to be in heaven forever i want you to have a lot of fun here on earth i want you to make money and build homes and have a great time but i want you to desire one thing more than anything to see those people that you love in heaven forever so how do we get there we must humble ourselves and bow So if that is you and you've never humbled yourself and bowed before the Lord, I would love to pray with you today and begin this journey. Or if you know people that have never bowed before the Lord, let me just plead with you to share the gospel, the fullness, the truth of God's message, that he is loving, that he is gracious, and that he is merciful, but he is also going to satisfy his anger upon those that oppose him and do not choose to follow him. Therefore, you and I may be able to just see that come to pass one day, that forever and ever we'll be around those people worshiping the Lord forever with no end. Let's pray.